Yeah. The Bar Podcast. Uh, Biblical uh, Reform, let's uh, go. Uh, yeah. Uh, Welcome to the bar. Come on and pull up a seat. And open up your Bible. What a wonderful feast. The living bread. And we're discussing what it means for the streets. The inner cities and the burbs and every person we meet. That's where we challenge worldviews that we hear from world news. In light of the scripture, yeah, we are here to serve you. We're your source for resources to help you on your way as you battle mean forces. Yo, this is for the people who can see the importance of sound theology and the scripture that support it. Yeah, this is for the truth lovers, biblically reforming, preaching Christ to the nations. Yeah. Welcome to the modern reformation. Yeah. Welcome everybody to the bar with your guest host, me, David Knight from Exposit the Word, coming to you from across the pond over in the UK. And I'm sure that you'll no doubt know that Dwayne is in the middle of a very busy season in his life right now, which has meant that he hasn't been able to keep up with recording new episodes of the bar podcast. So to help keep the show moving, I'm going to be stepping in for a little bit. And apart from the accent, nothing else will change. We will still have the same awesome guests and Lord willing will publish a new show every Tuesday. So let's get to it because I am super excited to be coming through your speakers, your earbuds, wherever you're listening to the bar and as always, we are super grateful that you're listening. And like we always do, we love to start the show off by thanking you, the listeners, for tuning in and for supporting the show. And today, like every other week, we bring you another awesome guest. And today, we have someone that sounds just like me, but just a lot cleverer. Oz Guinness, hello and welcome. Well, thank you. Great pleasure to be with you. Oh, thank you. Oz, we're going to be speaking about your latest book today, Signals of Transcendence. And this, I believe, is your 30th book that you've been involved with. But tell us about this one. Well, the idea came from my mentor and friend, Peter Berger, who wrote a chapter in one of his books in the 1960s on this. And I've always been intrigued by the idea. And we wanted to write a book together, but sadly he died. And so I've written the book, my own book. It's just 10 stories of people who had these deep experiences, which did two things in their lives. They were so profound to them, they punctured what they believed before and pointed to something which, if true, would make all the difference. And the point was, through the experiences, the signals, they became seekers. They didn't find it wasn't the story of their conversion, but they became seekers. And I think yeah. today that's the great challenge to raise questions to people so they start searching. Yeah, yeah, that's really helpful. We're looking forward to talking to you about this in detail in a few more moments. But before we do, tell us about how you became a Christian yourself, Oz. Well, I come from a long heritage of Christians in the Guinness family. Many people don't realize Arthur Guinness the original brewer in our family, was a wonderful evangelical Christian who came to faith through John Wesley. And actually, my branch of the family has kept the faith ever since. So I was born in China to medical missionary parents. But when the revolution came, after two years, I was there two years under the reign of terror, my parents were allowed to send me home, I was 10, to England. And I went to school and then university in England. So I didn't have my parents in the crucial teenage years. And my own journey to faith was really 
an intellectual debate over two years in my heart. I'd seen Buddhism and Hinduism in the East, and that never attracted me. So for me, it was a clash between secularism, atheism, and I read people like Friedrich Nietzsche, Jean-Paul Sartre, and my own hero on that side was Albert Camus. And then on the other side, Blaise Pascal, G.K. Chesterton, and of course, C.S. Lewis. And it was really at the end of two years, through Christian friend also at school, that I was convinced the Christian faith was true. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. In your new book, you mentioned that you've chosen to tell the stories of a number of people. How did you come to choose the people that you settled on? And tell us about a couple of your favorites, if you can, Oz. Well, I just picked people who were really set on the path. They became seekers or searchers through this signal of, they didn't use that word, that's Peter Berger's word, but they all had this similar type of experience. Maybe my favorite, the best known story in the book is C.S. Lewis. And of course, being surprised by joy. Now, many people know C.S. Lewis as as a Christian writer, so they forget he was a hard-boiled atheist, and he'd read all the stuff, and he knew hard-boiled atheists. And it was 10 years between the signal that set him off and then his becoming the most reluctant convert in all England. But my favorite story is maybe W.H. Auden. You remember, he left Oxford, an atheist, a left-winger, fought on the Republican side in the Spanish Civil War, and in a time before it was fashionable, a gay. So he came over to America as the war clouds were looming in Europe. And, of course, no television. So how did you follow what's going on? You went to the cinema for the documentary news of the weekend. And he lived in the Upper East Side then, and it was a largely German area, unbeknownst to him. And, of course, in 1939, Britain had declared war on Germany and Germany on Britain, but America was neutral. So Americans supported one or the other. And Auden went to the cinema one Saturday, and the film was on the Nazi invasion of Poland and the brutal SS killing of women and children. And the Germans, of course, were egging on their fellow Germans. And he was sitting there as an Englishman in the darkness. And suddenly he said his whole worldview was overturned in five minutes. For one thing, he suddenly realized we humans have evil in our hearts. He'd always thought we're good. A little better psychology, politics, education, you name it. The goodness would show through. No, there was evil in the human heart. But worse, he said, he needed an absolute to say that what he was seeing was absolutely evil. But he'd always believed there's no such thing as absolutes. It's for old fogies. And so, as he put it later, he left the cinema a seeker after an unconditional absolute and met Jesus. I love that story because so many people today are rightly inspired by outrage against injustice. And you can really yeah. resonate with that W.H. Auden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really interesting stuff. Oz, how does God reveal himself and communicate to us through his creation today? Well, you can see in Romans 1, for example, that the universe speaks to us, but we hold the truth in unrighteousness. And that word suppress, sometimes translated, could almost be translated, hold truth hostage. 
In other words, like a hijacker of a plane, you can put the pistol to the head of a pilot and make it fly to where it's not supposed to fly to. And that's what we do, as it were, with revelation, which is all around us. Or you can take a more resonant Old Testament example, eternity in our hearts. In other words, creation speaks to us. I call it listening to the promptings of life. Or put another way, the secularist worldview, which Peter Berger describes as a world without windows, is finally suffocating. We're made for more. We're not made for Plato's cave and seeing shadows in the wall. We're made for sunlight. And so there's so many ways. Now, of course, in our modern artificial city world, we live in the man-made all the time. And so it's much easier to suppress these things and drown them out, but they still speak powerfully. Yeah. Feelings are not always the best indicator, as we know our hearts can deceive us, and it's possible for us fallible creatures to read into things that God did not intend. How do we protect ourselves from making these mistakes, Oz? Well, you know, uh, Socrates' famous saying, the unexamined life is not worth living. People have to think and care enough to listen to the signals and pursue its logic. Now, the signals are signals. They're pointers. They don't give you the destination. They point in a direction, but people have to follow in their own lives existentially in practice. And so I think this is actually a Hebrew way rather than a Greek way. You know, the Greek way, you have such a high view of reason, you argue the whole thing on the basis of reason alone, like the theistic proofs. I don't think they work. I think the biblical way is rather challenging people to raise the questions that their own hearts raise and follow through of them. Because coming to know the Lord is one person meeting the supreme person. And of course, with people, we don't know each other unless we open ourselves to the other. So an argument based on reason alone simply doesn't cut the mustard for me. Now, of course, when someone begins to search, and here's the answer to your question, Dave, it could go in any direction. In other words, if you look at the big families of faiths in our world, you could go in a Buddhist, Hindu direction, all the Eastern religions. You could go in a secularist direction, or you could go in a biblical, Jewish and Christian direction. And they are fundamentally, decisively different. And people have to really say, now, does this worldview I'm looking at, is it the answer to the question that the signal raises, or is it wrong? Now, a lot of people go down bypass and don't get out of it. Of course, some people don't even start. They suppress the signal. And I've got a story in the book of Lord Clark, Kenneth Clark, who does that. So... The signal is not the answer in itself. It's the pointer. But as C.S. Lewis often said, you look at a signpost, it takes you to the destination. Once you're at the destination, you don't bother about the signpost. It's what helps you there, but it's not the thing you're looking for. Yeah, yeah, it's really helpful. Really, really good. In the book, you say that the truth is that we are we are a generation that has too much to live with and too little to live for. What do you mean by that, Oz? Well, that's a comment on our consumerism. No generation, middle class and higher, has had such incredible consumer goods as well as things like holidays and so on. Almost every desire we want, we can have if we're middle class and higher. But because of that, we have so much to live with. We forget what life is about. 
Now, of course, there's an older human problem. You take the way kids answer questions. Daddy, why this? Mommy, why that? But when we become adults, we stop asking questions. We take it for granted. And we haven't time to answer all the crazy questions that kids try and ask us. So normal human living is growing up and losing the sense of curiosity and wonder. But in our modern world, with city living, our son lives 50 yards from the Atlantic Ocean on Long Island. And when we visit him, my wife always says it's a place of wonder. In the winter, you can sit in one chair and look at the sunrise and see the sunset from the same chair. And the incredible skies and the night skies and the day. It's amazing. Wonder is all around you. But when I live in a city, London, Washington, New York, whatever, it's man-made, artificial, and all that sense of wonder and curiosity is drowned out of you by the sheer busyness of life. And then, of course, add the social media. They've been described as weapons of mass distraction. You take what the Americans call screen ages. In other words, teenagers totally dependent on the social media. Not surprising people don't think as they should do. Yeah, yeah. Is the prosperity and the comfort that we live in today a blessing or a curse, Oz? Well, it's, of course, a blessing. We live longer. We have so much more. We can do so much more. But you remember when Moses in his great final speech to the people who are now in the desert, but they're going to the promised land. And one day he says, when you've built houses and all these good things, you'll forget, or you think of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, what do you have that you didn't receive? Yeah. So much of life is a gift. But if we have so much and we think we can do so much, we forget and we become self-sufficient and so on. Now, the heart of sin in the modern world is self-willed, self-created, self-sufficient humanity. You know, Heinrich Heine, the poet, who was a friend of Karl Marx but hated him, he said, you are a self, uh, a godless self-god. Now, that's an incredible description of many people today, godless self-gods. They've got so much health, so much prosperity. Who needs God? Yeah, yeah. Oz, what are some examples in your own life where you have experienced something that's clearly pointed towards God? Well, I came, as I said, I came to faith through my own search. And it wasn't through being triggered off by a signal. But more and more people I've met in my own life, as well as these stories here, you know, they've had that experience, which is why I wanted to write on it, because it's one of the ways. It's not the only way. I, I, I myself was not triggered by a signal of transcendence to search. I was searching anyway, just as a teenager, it's the natural thing to do. At that stage in life, you know, late teens, early 20s, when people think through who are they and what's life about and so on. So I was not triggered myself by a signal, but it's very important. Now, having come to the Lord and in faith, I've had experiences of the Lord's call once, only once in my life, and I don't talk about it publicly, although signals was not the way that I myself came to faith. We live in a generation where the charismatic Pentecostal denominations are growing at a rapid rate. 
There are claims from within these churches that there are these emotional encounters and words from God on an almost daily basis. What you are talking about, I think, is different. And what are the ditches that we need to watch out for when we are talking about these types of experiences, Oz? Well, sadly, you see a considerable polarization between those who love the word and those who love the spirit. And of course, in the scriptures, you cannot divide them. You cannot divide them. And yet so many of those who put the word first lose the sense of the importance of the spirit and vice versa. So certainly here in America, if you take people who are looking at the spirit, the number of people giving you words of knowledge, words of prophecy are just two a penny. And many of them absolutely specious and false. Now, yeah. of course, in the scriptures, we had that double test. Always when a prophet gives you a word, you've got to say, is this true to the truth of the Lord that we know to this point? In other words, orthodoxy. And the second test is, does it become true in history? The word of the Lord comes true. Right. You can see, for example, many of the false prophecies that Trump would come back in power were just plain wrong. And so many of them were contradicted and ashamed. And sadly, only a few of them uh, had the courage to apologize and say they were wrong. But far more people were wrong. You know, there's a lot of specious words of knowledge and prophecy. But equally, I've got to say, sadly, there's a lot of people who love the word um, who are as dry as a bone spiritually. Mm -hmm. True. You make it clear in the book that becoming aware of God through a signal in his creation is one thing, but what matters most is how we respond to that. Tell us why it's so important, Oz. Well, the response is everything to a signal. So one of the stories that illustrates this for me is the story of Kenneth Clark. English know him much better than the Americans. Great arts historian who did the magnificent BBC series, Civilization. He was a great expert in art and in beauty and so on. And he describes a number of times he felt the single of the finger of God unmistakably. The main time was when he was in Florence in a church looking at a painting. He said, I felt the finger of God. And the feeling lasted not for a few seconds, but for several months. But he said, and he writes this in his memoir, if I'd gone back to London and said I'd now become religious, they would have thought I was a crank. And as we know from his biography, not his memoir, he was actually in the middle of an affair at the time, and it would have been rather embarrassing for him to go back and face up to it. So he brushed it off. And of course, many people do that. That's what Paul writes about in Romans 1. They suppress the truth. The beep, 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 beep. But you can suppress it and drown it out and get on with your life. Busy, entertaining distractions. But I love the fact that in Lord Clark, Kenneth Clark's case, he didn't brush it off forever. And that is funeral. And it was kind of like the royalty of the art world. Uh, people like Princess Margaret and others were there too. A priest got up at the end and said, Lord Clark wants you to know he was baptized and received into the church before he died. People thought, come on, this is a hoax. One of these uh, conversion stories that's an absolutely bogus fiction. Right. But his wife got up and said, no, no, it's true. Before he died, Kenneth Clark, who'd brushed off the finger of God earlier in his life, 
came back to the Lord. So it's never too late, even for people yeah, yeah. who suppress it for a while. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Excellent stuff, Oz. We're going to take a real quick break before coming back and getting your answer to the famous free signature bar questions. I hope you're ready for this, Oz. We are back with popular speaker and author Oz Guinness. So Oz, as you know, every single guest that comes onto the Bar podcast gets asked these three very important questions. Are you ready? I've actually forgotten what you said they were, but far away anyway. (laughs) Question one. What kind of music do you listen to? I love classical music and 60s rock. Excellent. Next signature bar question. What book or books are you currently reading? Well, that's a little um, unusual. I'm writing a book on the crisis of the West. So when I'm writing something, everything I'm reading is around that sort of a topic. But normally I'd like to read pretty widely and I try and read novels. I love people like Dostoevsky and so on, as well as writing, uh, reading in my own area of contemporary affairs. I love reading, probably my favorite hobby. Brilliant. And the last signature bar question, what podcasts or sermons do you listen to, if any? Um, relatively few. <laughs> I try and listen to sermons live in church and occasionally ones that people send me. They say are absolutely incredible. Um, but growing up in the in faith in the 1960s, you know, I used to go to John Stott in the morning and Martin Lloyd-Jones often in the evening. And hearing people like that, I've never heard great preachers like I had in my youth. So many of the preachers I hear now are rather pale by comparison, I'm afraid. (laughs) Oz, before we let you go, please take a moment to let us know your closing thoughts and also to let people know how they can keep in touch with you on social media. Oh, we're living in an extraordinary moment in history. The decline of the West, the rise of autocracies like China and Russia. And you can see the church doing extremely badly right across the West and so on. And I meet many people who are demoralized, discouraged, and there are a lot of reasons why they might be. I always remember the attitude of my parents. As I said to you earlier, I lived through two years of the reign of terror in the Chinese Revolution. Many of my father's friends arrested, executed, others in prison. My father tried, trumped up charges and so on. Fear was all around. We lived in the war when 17 million were killed in the Japanese invasion. We were in a terrible famine in which 5 million died in three months, including my two brothers. But in the incredible chaos and evil and violence and war and revolution of my first 10 years, I never once saw my parents waver in their trust in the Lord. And if I summarize my dad's attitude, you can put it like this. God is greater than all. God can be trusted in all situations. Have faith in God. Have no fear. And if ever there's a time in history we need to be like that and move out trustingly, hopefully, it's like that today. 
Amen. Yeah, that's right. Well, what a note to finish it on. Oz, thanks so much for your time. I really enjoyed speaking to you today. My pleasure. Thank you, David. And to the bar listeners, thank you again for tuning in and make sure that you hit that subscribe button so that you can get the show every single Tuesday. And just like today, we have some top, top guests coming up that you do not want to miss out on. And remember to check out the bar podcast website where you can listen to Dwayne's huge archive of interviews, which will keep you nice and busy until next time to laugh for now. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.